You are listening to a message from Adam Reardon at Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois. At Redemption Church, we are all about introducing people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information, check us out online at redemption.cc. Now stay tuned for today's message. Do something. Here's, here's the tip. Even if she says she doesn't want anything, she's lying to you, okay? Get something, whether it's flowers, a chocolate, uh, whether you write her a poem, uh, rip a poem off the internet and put your name on it, uh, but do something, because otherwise uh, you will be in trouble. So I'm warning you now that you should do something. In fact, for the rest of the month, we're going to talk about relationships. And what I really believe is that whether you're single, married, or somewhere in between, uh, that there's something in this for you. And so I'd invite you to kind of lean in and engage with us as we go through uh, some of the teachings of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, which are, are really about relationships. In fact, one of the things that's really interesting is that marriage is universal. Uh, what I mean by that is if you and I uh, hopped on a 747 and we visited every uh, continent on the planet uh, where humans live, so Antarctica's out of this, but like if you went to a place, no matter what we would experience is we would experience different cultures, uh, different ways of life, different people groups, uh, we would experience different types of food, but what, what people have said, they've done the research, they've gone to the places, and what they've said is that marriage is universal, that in every culture on the face of the planet, there's this thing called marriage where a man and a woman come together and make a lifelong commitment to love one another. And I think that's fascinating because I think what that reveals to us, I think that kind of what that shows to us is that the reason that marriage is universal, the reason that marriage is everywhere is because I believe that the idea of marriage is part of God's design and it's a gift that he gives to us. And I think marriage comes directly from God's heart and it's something that he created to be good. And I think that's why we see it everywhere in every culture and every place on the planet. In fact, I think if we really want to understand this, we have to go all the way back uh, to the book of Genesis where we see the first marriage. Uh, in, in the book of Genesis, we're, we're provided with what most people call the creation story. And, and what people love to do with the creation story is people love to argue the details of the creation story. And I'm all about a really good, heated, detail-oriented conversation. We can have that conversation. But the, the older I get and the more I interact with Genesis, what I see in the book of Genesis is the power and the glory and the goodness of God. Like one of the things that blows me away is that you would see that God creates all this stuff. He creates this whole planet, the air, the water, the earth, the animals, the plants. He creates us. He calls all of it good. And then he gives it to us. Like one of the first things we learn about God is not only is he powerful, not only is he creative, not only is he a creator, but he's incredibly generous that he would literally turn over the earth to us and say, hey, this is yours. You're stewards of this. I created this for your goodness and for your enjoyment. And what we learn in the book of Genesis is just in the, in the second chapter early on that God creates Adam, the first man, and he creates all this stuff. And he gives it to Adam. In fact, one of the, the privileges that God gives Adam is that Adam gets to name all the living animals. 
which I think would be awesome. Like, I kind of want to see that. Like, I, I kind of have it in my mind this way, that Adam's, like, sitting in a chair or standing, and, like, animals parade in front of him, and he names them. And it's, like, crazy because it's, like, you know, elephant, penguin, giraffe. Like, he names all the animals as they go by. And what happens is at the end of the day, all, everything's created, all the animals are named, but there's a problem. Uh, there's no one suitable for Adam. In fact, the way that I read that is this, is that there's, there's, there's something about creation that God meant to satisfy us with, and yet there was something missing in Adam's heart and Adam's life, and God knew exactly what it was. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 20, says it this way. It says, the man, that's Adam, gave names to all the livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up in place with his flesh. And what God does is he, he takes a piece of Adam and he creates woman. He creates Eve. And the reason I bring that up is because I think what we see is that, that marriage is God's idea. Like marriage comes directly from, from God's heart and he gives it as a gift to us. In fact, uh, marriage is a huge theme in the Bible. The Bible begins with the very first marriage, and the Bible ends with a, a marriage that's called the wedding feast of the Lamb. And so everywhere between the opening pages of the Bible and the closing pages of the Bible, we learn about God's plan, God's purpose, and God's design for marriage. In fact, personally, I think marriage is awesome. Uh, when Audrey and I were, were getting married, there, there were all kinds of people that were excited for us. There were all, all kinds of people that said exciting things, which was great. But every now and then you would run into people that, like, felt like their job was to, like, I don't know, be real or, like, to give you, like, to pull back the curtain behind their marriage. Like, I remember one, one guy in particular, like, was like, oh, you know, there's a reason they call it the ball and chain for a reason. And I was like, bro, like, I think that reveals more about your marriage than, like, my soon-to-be marriage. Like, I remember there was a guy that literally sat me down and was like, listen, I'm just going to be real with you. The first three years of marriage are terrible, terrible. He was like, enjoy the honeymoon because the next three years of your life are terrible. And he's like, in year four, you'll spend a lot of time wondering if you married the wrong person. And he's like, and then there's the seven-year itch that you'll go through that in year seven you'll wonder if you want to run away from your marriage. And I was like, I'm not listening to any advice you give me. And I'm like, I think you have a horrible marriage, and I want nothing uh, of the marriage that you have. Because, listen, I think marriage is awesome. In fact, just in a couple months in May, Audrey and I will be celebrating 14 years of marriage, and they've been incredible. Uh, we have a few miles on the marriage odometer. Uh, personally, I think being married is like a never-ending slumber party with your best friend. It's great. Like growing up, you would get to go to your friend's house from time to time, and you'd have a, a great time, but then you'd have to go home the next morning. And this is great because you just get to do it over and over and over again. And there's this thing about marriage that, that every single one of us knows. right? I think there's this kind of universal truth about marriage, and it's this. When your marriage is good... Everything is good. Like when your marriage is good, there's really nothing that's that bad or devastating. 
Like, so maybe think of it this way, that if, you, if you're, like, on par in your marriage, if things are going really well in your marriage, like, if you go to work and have a bad day, like, you're like, yeah, it's a bad day, but I get to go home and everything's going to be okay. Like, this is going to be all right. I'm just going to, you know, wait till 5 o'clock and I'm out of here. On the other hand, when your marriage is bad, nothing is really great or satisfying. So, like, if you're just in a rough spot in your marriage... And you go to work that day and your boss is like, hey, you're going to get a raise and a new office and we're going to give you a new title. And you're like, yeah, but I still have to go home at 5 o'clock. And I know what's waiting for me on the other side of that. When your marriage is great, everything is great. But when your marriage is in rough shape, it seems like everything is kind of in rough shape. In fact, we could probably all tell stories about really great marriages and how those marriages have benefited the people around them. But on the same token, we could also share devastating stories of how lives have been affected by divorce. And unfortunately, in our day and age, in our culture, what we know is there's more stories about lives being devastated by divorce than there are stories about awesome, lifelong marriages that have impacted generations. And see, you might be here this morning or you might be listening online later and you might be in a tough marriage. Maybe you've gone through some stuff. Maybe you're going through some stuff. Maybe you're even here this morning and you've been divorced or you're considering divorce. And here's, here's what I want you to know. We're not here to judge you. We're here to help. Like we're not here to discourage you. We're here to encourage you. In fact, I believe that no matter what your story is, there's hope and his name is Jesus. Like, I, I just think, you know, if Jesus really did die on the cross for our sins in our place, the scripture says that he's dead and buried, and on the third day he rose again, victorious over death, victorious over sin, victorious over the grave, that Jesus has resurrection power. Like, did you know that the word impossible is not in God's vocabulary? Like, I think our God laughs at the word impossible because there's nothing that he can't do. That God's in the business of bringing the dead back to life. He's in the business of healing the sick. He's in the business of making all things new. He's in the business of bringing life where there was once death. See, I think God can do all of that in our marriages. Like, I think no matter where your relationship status is at today, there's hope. And see, because I believe marriage is found in the heart of God. Because I really do believe that he created it and gave it to us as a gift. I think if we want to have really awesome marriages, we have to discover what his word says. We have to discover what his purpose is. We have to discover what he says about it so we can experience what he always intended us to experience when he gave marriage to us. Now here's the thing. I think marriage is awesome. But it can also be really hard. Marriage is anything like anything else. You get out of it what you put into it. Like if you want to have a really awesome marriage, if you want to have a life-giving, satisfying, something you're really excited about, you want to put it on your Facebook status marriage, the reality is, is you got to put some work into it. Because marriage is not the feeling of love. Although I hope you feel all kinds of love. Marriage is not the feeling of love. Marriage is the promise of love. 
See, what happens is we, we kind of live in a consumer world. And we kind of have this attitude of uh, we want to give the least and get the most. Like that's, that's like the foundation of consumerism. That's why people go crazy and cut up coupons because we want to do the research and we want to spend the least but get the most. But here's the deal. When it comes to relationships, there's no such thing as bargain shopping. Like, listen, if you're single, don't bargain shop looking for a spouse because it won't go well. And what happens is if we come into a relationship with this consumerism idea, what we do is we say, hey, I love you because... I love you because you look a certain way. I love you because you make me feel a certain way. I love you because you do certain things for me. I love you because you provide me with certain things. I love you because. But the reality is, is things change. Like if you talk to anybody who's been married for a few years, the reality is what they would tell you is they're not the same people they were on their wedding day. That their lives don't necessarily look like they thought they would when they stood at the altar and said, I do. Uh, They don't look the same. The scale's not the same. The looks aren't aren't the same. The job's not the same. The life with kids, not the same. Life looks a lot different than when you first get married. And so if you come into marriage with this consumerism mentality, I love you because, what happens is you're going to have a little bit of trouble because things change. Life gets difficult. We experience curveballs. But if your marriage is a covenant, see, if your marriage is a promise that says, I will love you always, no matter what, then you're set up for success. See, I think the key to having a really great marriage is this. It has to be built on the covenant of love, not consumerism. In fact, I think we could, divine, we, could, uh, we could define marriage this way. Marriage is a mutual commitment to love without condition or an expiration date. I love that. Marriage is a mutual commitment to love without condition or an expiration date. And see, what happens in our culture isn't new. It's the same thing that was happening in, in Jesus' culture, is that the nation of Israel was being so influenced by outside nations that the nation of Israel, the, the men had kind of grown a cold hearts, hard hearts, and they had lost God's design, God's purpose, God's meaning for marriage. So as Jesus is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, as he's addressing kind of matters of the heart, things that that ail us, things that we're getting wrong, things that fumble in our lives, he he hits relationships. And what Jesus begins to do is he begins to challenge something that's become really common, especially in the nation of Israel, and it has to do with marriage. He says it this way. He says, it is also said, Jesus is still in this line of teaching, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And so he challenges this one. He says, it was also said that whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever divorced a married woman commits adultery. And, like, I think when Jesus said these words, the crowd just kind of stopped. Like, this wasn't one of those moments where where people were amazed by the teaching. This was one of those moments where where people were like, did he really say that? Because what had happened 
is that there were religious leaders who had taken Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 to 4, where Moses permits people to get divorced, and they had changed the teaching. And what they'd done is they'd actually taken what Moses said and taken it from a permit to a command. And so what had happened is, is there were religious leaders. There was one religious leader in particular that would literally teach that a man could divorce his wife for anything. And by the word anything, I mean anything. Like this guy would literally teach people that if their wife cooked a bad dinner, he could choose to divorce his wife because she spoiled his meal. If a, a woman got a bad haircut or wore her hair in a way that the husband did not like, he could give her a certificate of divorce. This one was really interesting. This guy made a law that said if a woman spoke poorly about her mother-in-law in her husband's presence, he could give her a certificate of divorce. So listen, you just have a bad day, ladies, your hair doesn't look good, dinner doesn't taste good, and you say something bad about your mother-in-law, it's, it's grounds to end the marriage. And in Jesus' time, what happened was is if a woman was divorced and was going to survive, she would have to get married again. And so Jesus just challenges this. Jesus begins to challenge people's thoughts and beliefs on marriage. And here's his point. You're missing the point. You're no longer understanding what God originally intended for you. Men, you're mistreating your wives, and you are completely missing out on the gift that God wants to give you. And so just a few chapters later, in Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees wanted to have more conversation about this. They were so uh, just so infatuated with this teaching of Jesus. I think it so confused them, it so irritated them that they wanted to know more. So Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 3, the scriptures say, A Pharisee came up to him, being Jesus, and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He's like, hey, Jesus, we heard that Sermon on the Mount thing, and like you're going against one of our main teachers who says, listen, any reason. So Jesus, is it, is it permitted? Is it lawful for one to divorce his wife for any cause? Here's their hope, that Jesus is going to contradict what Moses said. And if, he, if Moses is contradicting, listen, he's the guy. And so they're hoping that Jesus will contradict Scripture but Jesus being Jesus is the embodiment, the fulfillment of Scripture. So what he says is this. He answers him, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. I want to pick up on a few things that I think Jesus is teaching them and is also teaching us. I think what Jesus is saying in response to this question about divorce is this, is that marriage is a permanent covenant of love and intimacy. 
And so the, the first thing Jesus responds with is this, is that a man will leave and cleave. That, that, that's some biblical language. He goes, listen, haven't you heard it said that one day a man will grow up and leave his parents' house? And the reason he's going to leave his parents' house is because no human relationship takes priority over your spouse. Jesus goes, it's a big deal. He says, there comes a time in a man's life where he leaves his parents' house. And usually the reason he leaves mom and dad's house is because he's getting married. And the reason he has to leave the house is because that relationship can't thrive under the roof of his parents. And here's why. Because there can be no human relationship that's more important than that of your spouse. In fact, Jesus begins to say, hey, don't, don't you understand that this is so sacred, this is so spiritual. There's this mystery in marriage that these two people come together in such a way that they're no longer two people, but they are one person. And see, I think, I think this gets really hard in, in two times in our lives, kind of two seasons of lives. So I think this relationship thing gets really, really hard. Uh, the first one is this, is when you're single, but you're starting to get serious about the relationship, right? You ever been there? Uh, you start dating somebody, and then the relationship starts to get really serious. And what happens is, is all of a sudden your friends get upset because you're spending more time with him or you're spending more time with her. And what happens is you might even begin to hear things like, hey, bro, you're selling out. Hey, she's got you wrapped around her finger. Oh, you're, you're so lovesick for him. Like, you don't spend time with us anymore. You're selling out. And you go, you're right. I don't spend as much time as you, with you as I used to because, like, I'm going down this different path. And here's what's happening. This, this guy or this girl is becoming a, a relationship that takes priority over every other relationship. And that can be difficult. Like, I remember going through that season of life when, when friends were getting married. I got married to Audrey before a lot of my friends were married. And that changed some things. Because, like, I could, wasn't available for, like, movie night and poker night every night of the week. Because I had a relationship that was more important than hanging out with the bros. And there's another time that that, that gets really difficult. It's when a, a man and a wife have kids together. Because there's kind of this natural things that happens when all of a sudden little ones enter the world. All of a sudden what happens is your life kind of becomes about the kids. It becomes about raising the kids, loving the kids, helping the kids. And this thing can happen that all of a sudden your kids become the center, the point, the gravitational pull of your relationship. In fact, I spent some time this week, this is what scripture says about children. They are an inheritance from the Lord. They are a blessing. They are an honor to parents. They have intrinsic value, but scripture never says that they are the point or the center of our marriages. In fact, you can find some great advice in Proverbs where Solomon is, is talking about having a garden, and it's this idea of marriage, and he says sometimes you have to get the fox out of the garden. What he's talking about is kids. It's like sometimes you just got to be alone. And what, what happens is if we really want to get this marriage thing down is we have to understand that marriage is a, a covenant that says, hey, no human relationship is more important than you as my husband or you as my wife. And here's why. Because the point of marriage is oneness. 
Jesus goes all the way back to Genesis 2 and begins to quote it. And he's like, listen, one day a man grows up, he leaves his house, he gets married, he leaves and cleaves, and the two become one flesh. And he goes, don't you get it? The idea is that you become one. This is why in a marriage, there is no such thing as winning an argument. Because you're one. You can win the argument and still lose. Anybody done that before? Don't raise your hand. But you, it's true. You can win the argument and still lose the argument. And Jesus is going, don't you get the point? The point is oneness. That, that when a man and a woman stand at the altar, it's you and me. We become we. And that our marriages are supposed to have this we mentality. What's, what's good for us? What helps us? What benefits us? How do we continually pursue oneness together. And the reality is you have to fight for oneness. In your marriage, you have to fight for oneness. When Audrey and I were, were first uh, married, we had the opportunity to take a honeymoon trip to Mexico. And uh, I, I did this crazy thing where I said yes to, to somebody who, was, uh, who had given us um, the opportunity to buy a discounted honeymoon package. They were a travel agent. Uh, somebody had bought this honeymoon. Uh, they decided they weren't going to get married anymore, and they bought no insurance on it, so it was like half paid for, and they weren't going to take it anymore. So Audrey and I got to buy the honeymoon package for, for half price, and it was awesome. And, and I kind of had this theory that, hey, we're going to be in Mexico, so we should do some awesome things while we're there. And so one of the things we, we did is we, we went on some adventures and we got sunburned and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things we had the opportunity to do is we had the opportunity to go swim in these underground pools and like sinkholes. And it was a ton of fun. And that whole adventure then led to snorkeling in the ocean, which I, to me sounded like a really awesome idea. Uh, they told us we'd see sea turtles and we'd see all kind of wildlife and like we might even see a shark, which I, I thought was cool, but I also thought would probably kill me. So we had a really great time. And as we finally made it out to the ocean, uh, we had this really weird experience because the water almost looked like oil and water mixing. Like you couldn't see anything. Uh, there wasn't a sea turtle for like 100 miles. There was no wildlife. Uh, you, you just kind of saw like this weird mixing of water. What our instructor told us was is that's called brackish water. That's where fresh water and salt water begin to mix. Uh, but it's a, a kind of a nasty process and it makes everything really hard to see. So we kind of kept swimming, we kept looking for sea turtles, and, and uh, all of a sudden we noticed that we were way further out in the ocean than we were supposed to be. And I thought everything was okay until I saw the swimming instructor get panicked. And like when the guy leading your adventure gets panicked, you know that it's probably time to get panicked. And what had happened is, is the current was so strong that it was bringing the brackish water into a place that it wasn't supposed to be. It was actually pushing our entire group further and further out to ocean. And we were now in a place that we weren't supposed to be. So what started as a really fun adventure became an Olympic event for our lives. And there was a time, <coughs> excuse me, there was a time where we all wondered if we were going to make it. I thought, this is awesome. 
Audrey said, yes, we got married. We're going to see death to us part on day three of our marriage in the ocean in Mexico, and they will never find our bodies. Now, if you're wondering, we did survive. We made it. We did make it. Uh, it was Everybody made it. Uh, we didn't lose anybody on the adventure, but I'll never forget getting on the shore and just being sore and exhausted. Uh, and the next day, we didn't go on our adventure because we just thought one more might kill us. Now, here's why I tell you that story. It's because in your marriage, you can experience marital drift. That what can happen is if you're not intentional, like if you don't fight for things in your marriage, uh, you can actually drift to a place that you never thought you would be. So you got to fight for it. Like you have to fight for an awesome, life-giving, satisfying marriage. In fact, there's tons of things to fight for, but here's three. In your marriage, you have to fight for time together. You have to. Every single one of us gets 24 hours a day. The question is, how will we spend that time? What will we do with it? Like, If you want to have a really great message, you have to create the space in your day, every day, to spend time with your spouse. You have to create time to talk, to connect, to see how one another are doing. What are you wrestling with? What's going on in your life? What kind of new information did you learn today? And it's just an opportunity to get in sync. And like sometimes those conversations are really lighthearted and just kind of fun. And sometimes those conversations might be really deep and maybe even difficult, but you got to fight for that. There's all kinds of things fighting for your time. But one of the best investments you can make in your relationship is daily spending time with one another. I think one of the greatest tips I've ever received, which is something that I tell people all the time, is you got to fight for date night. you got to fight for date night. I think it's incredibly important for couples to date. Like Audrey and I have been married for almost 14 years, and I'm still dating my wife. Like as a married couple, it is important for you to have fun together. It's important for you to laugh together. It's important for you to do things that you guys enjoy together. And the reality is it's like you have to do that without kids sometimes. Like, kids are awesome. I love my kids. But the reality is sometimes I just want to spend time with my wife with no kids around. And I know that's tough because now you're talking a babysitter. Now you're talking planning. Now you're talking you have to just kind of pay someone or talk someone into watching your kids so you can go do things. <coughs> but it's one of the greatest things you can do for your marriage. And here's the thing, do whatever it is that you enjoy. Do whatever it is that breathes life to you. Do whatever it is that gives you life. So fight for time together. Fight for a date night. Number three, fight for anything that puts your oneness at risk. You have to fight against anything that puts your oneness at risk. Listen, you, you can't let conflict fester. You have to deal with it. You know, scripture says not to let the sun set on your anger. So that means you might have to have a hard conversation today. Because if you don't, it'll fester and it'll start to pull what was once one apart. You have to fight for your schedule. If your schedule's overloaded, you got to evaluate that. Maybe you have unresolved frustration. Maybe you have hopes and dreams that aren't coming true. Like you have to address that. Like anything that puts your oneness at risk, anything that pulls you apart, anything that puts a crack in the wall is a conversation you have to have. 
like maybe one of the most interesting, most conflicting, and most powerful conversations you could have with your spouse is you could ask them the question, is there anything I do or are there any situations that I'm in or are there any relationships that I have that hurt our oneness? Now here's this where this gets difficult. Once you ask the question, you just have to be quiet and listen. Just ask the question, is there anything that's hurting our oneness? Am I doing anything that, that causes conflict that, that hurts our oneness? Is there any relationships? I mean, are there any situations that I'm currently in? Like what, I, I value our oneness so much. Like if I'm doing anything that's pulling us apart, would you would be willing to tell me that so I could work on it? And, and here's a free pro tip. <clears throat> Going to church as a family is incredibly powerful. I think this is just me. I'm not an expert. No one's asking my opinion. But one of the things you're seeing more and more articles about is that over the last 50 years, less people go to church. And what you're also seeing is less families stay together. And I think there's something incredibly spiritual. I think there's something incredibly powerful. I think there's something incredibly unifying about the family getting together on a Sunday morning or whatever day of the week it is and saying, we are going to church together. We're going to go pursue Jesus together. We're going to go worship together. We're going to get in the Bible together. That There's something polarizing about saying, we're going to kind of put that stake in the ground, and we're going to go do that together. And I don't know why, but I think, it, I think it's because God does incredible things in the entire family's life when we're together. And I tell couples all the time when I do marriage counseling, one of the best things that you can do for your marriage is plug into a church and go as a family. So that's something to consider. That's something to think about. Because here's the truth. A marriage does not go bad in a day. Like no one's marriage has ended because of 24 hours. But like our little swimming expedition, you drift. And usually when you drift, you don't know how far you've drifted until you're already in danger. Which leads us to Jesus' point. Matthew chapter 19, verses 7 and 9. So they say to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? So the Pharisee fights back and goes, Listen, Moses commanded us to do this. And Jesus in verse 8 says, He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wife. But from the beginning, it was not so. Now, don't miss this. This is what Jesus is saying. Moses never commanded it. Jesus is saying in all of Scripture, there is never a command that says get divorced. He says, however, there is a provision. And he says the reason that the provision was made was because your hearts were so hard. He said, but listen, in the beginning, when God created marriage, it wasn't that way. And he says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So Jesus raises the bar and he goes, listen, I want you to think of it this way. If you're divorcing your wife because she had a bad hair day, made a bad dinner, and doesn't like your mom, If you divorce her, you're committing adultery. 
And what Jesus reinforces is this idea that marriage is sacred, that marriage is valuable, that marriage is worth fighting for. But he does say that it's permitted. It's never commanded, but it is allowed. I was reading an older commentary this week, getting ready for this message, and the author of that commentary said it this way. He says, divorce is like amputation. It is taking something that was once won and trying to divide it. It is painful, it is gruesome, it is difficult, but sometimes it is necessary to save a life. That there's no such thing as a clean, easy, pain-free divorce. But sometimes it is necessary to save a life. But in scripture, it's never commanded, it's never applauded, but it is permitted. In fact, there's three times in scripture where divorce is permitted. The first one is this, that Jesus says, if your spouse is unfaithful to you, you're not commanded, but you're permitted to have a divorce. Paul says that if you marry an unbeliever, and if your unbelieving spouse requests a divorce, you should give them the divorce, or you can give them the divorce. Paul also says that if you become a believer and then are abandoned by your spouse, that you can give a divorce, that it's permitted. Now, I want to I address this this way. Because maybe you're in a difficult marriage, maybe you're separated, maybe you're divorced, or, or maybe you're thinking about a divorce. And if we were going to sit down and have a conversation, here's the, the three things I would tell you. Number one, we love you. Like, we don't know all the details. We probably will never know all the details. And we're not here to judge you. We're here to love you. So what we can do is give biblical advice, but we're not going to break relationship with you. We're not going to judge you over this. Number two, if you're experiencing some turbulence and some trials in your marriage, Redemption Church is a place where it's okay not to be okay. Like, there's no perfect people here. I've had this conversation with people who come to Redemption Church. I said, listen, I know your marriage is rough, but we love you, and you should come here, and you should plug in, and it's okay that you're not okay. Like, listen, one of the greatest things you can do for your marriage is find people who can walk with you, who can love you and pray with you and speak life into your relationship and hold you accountable. So listen, if you're struggling, this is the place for you. If you're considering divorce, and if you ask my advice about the situation, here's what I would tell you, and this is what I've told people before. This is not a decision that you should take lightly. Like, I would look at this, I would look at the topic of divorce the same as if I went to the doctor because my ankle is still hurt, and he said, we want to lob it off. Like, I need to think about that. Like, we're not pulling out any, we're not getting any gear ready now. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need a second opinion. Okay, we're not taking any body parts off today. And I would, I would give it that same level of thought. And here would be my advice. <clears throat> before you sign any paperwork or before you call a divorce lawyer, you better fight for your marriage. You better dig in and fight hard. And I mean really hard. I mean, like, you better go to bed exhausted every day because you tried so hard to fight for that marriage. 
that you would fight for forgiveness, that you would fight for reconciliation, that you would fight for new life, that you would fight to gain back that intimacy and that oneness you once had. And even if you came to me and said, but biblically, I have grounds for divorce, I'd say you're permitted. But if my advice is fight and fight hard before you go the unpermitted route. Fight for your marriage. And give God an opportunity to do what only he can do in your relationship, in your marriage, and in your family. Because some of the coolest stories I've seen are people that allowed God into the relationship, people that allowed God into the marriage, and it didn't happen overnight. Some people, it took years, but God performed a miracle and brought life back in their marriage, and they're still married today. And God can do that because impossible is not in his vocabulary. So here's where I think we land. God has designed marriage to be a covenant relationship. Marriage is a mutual commitment to love without condition or an expiration date. Like, that's what it's about. And the only place that we can get that kind of power, that kind of strength, the only place we can see that kind of example is in God's love for us, that we would love God like he has first loved us, and we would love our spouses like God has loved us. And I think the key to a really awesome, life-giving, satisfying marriage is this. Pursue Jesus. Pursue his will, pursue his truth, and pursue his purpose. Like if marriage is God's idea, which it is, and we can only find what's good for marriage in God's will. We can only find it in his presence because he created it and gave it to us. We find God's best in his word and in his presence. So one of the greatest things you can do is pursue Jesus and never allow anything and never allow any human relationship to take priority over that or your spouse. Marriage by nature defines your husband or your wife is the most important person in your life. Number three, fight hard. Fight hard for oneness. Fight hard for intimacy. Fight hard for unity. Because in marriage, it's not about her and it's not about him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about we. And that in God's eyes, a man and a woman are so closely connected that they're one. So don't let anything come between. Don't let anything separate. Don't let any cracks come in the wall. But fight for that oneness. And as we do all that, we trust God to meet us where we are, in our brokenness, in our imperfection, to do what only God can do. Thanks again for listening to this message from Redemption Church in Belvedere, Illinois, where we believe faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. Listen again next week, but in the meantime, visit us at redemption.cc.